Last summer, uh, we were together as a family at an event that was at a local church here in town. It's a lovely church um, with a beautiful campus. And it happened to be the church that our founding pastor, Bill Elder, was serving as pastor of when God called him in 1992 to start Mountaintop Church. And uh, it's a great congregation, it's a great church, but he began to sense a calling in his heart to start a church to reach people that probably wouldn't go to a traditional church. A calling to reach people in Birmingham that no one else was reaching. So he left that church. He left an office, a staff, a sanctuary, classrooms, a copy machine. You know how hard it is to do ministry without a copy machine? A salary, health insurance, benefits, stability. He left it all to gather with 10 people the next week in his living room to dream about and pray about what could be. And what could be became the church called Mountaintop Church that you and I now call home. And I told my boys that night to look around at that campus, that beautiful facility, good ministry at that church. And I said, don't you ever forget that Pastor Bill left all of this for others, for us, and for you. He was 49. I'm 46. He had a teenager in the home. I've got four teenagers in the home. And I want to tell you something. That, that kind of obedience and that kind of risk-taking for the kingdom of God, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, it takes my breath away. Because with a teenager in the home, I can't imagine walking away from a salary and health benefits and a job for a calling of the Holy Spirit. And it inspires me so much. And here's what I would want to say to you. I want to do for others what others did for us. Like, I want to be a part of somebody else's story that I might never know, that I might never meet, the way that those 10 people in that living room with Pastor Bill and Linda are a part of our story and a part of our spiritual legacy and spiritual heritage. I want to do for others what others did for us. Today is Commitment Sunday. It's a a big day. When you came in, you got one of these commitment cards. Uh, If you've been a part of our church, you've probably gotten one in the mail, got one in a packet. If you're new, you got one here today. And everybody got one of these, uh, got one of these serving and prayer commitment cards. And we're going to bring them up here at the end of the service today, and we're going to drop them off before the Lord and pray over them and commit them to the Lord. But I, So I want to let you know that if you are brand new here today, we're so glad that you're here. I got to thinking about this early this morning, and I was like, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better day. Because today you're going to hear what, uh, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, man, a newcomer comes on a, co- on a commitment Sunday, on a campaign. You're going to hear our heart for what our mission and vision is all about. 
You couldn't have picked a better day to know, like, what is this church all about than today? But I want to let you know this. You kind of walked into, like, a little family talk today. All right? So, uh, you know, we, we normally want to teach and preach in ways that connect with anybody who walks in the doors. But today is about our Mountaintop Church family. And I want to speak to those of you that call Mountaintop, Mountaintop Church home and any that might be considering it. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. This uh, campaign is the largest campaign that, that I've ever led. It's a huge project for our church. And when I think about the scale of it all, it can be intimidating. It's personal, too. It's personal, too, because I'm not just the pastor of Mountaintop. I'm a member of Mountaintop. And so Emily and I personally have prayed through and thought through and discussed through what our individual part of this, what our individual commitment is financially. And, and I just, I, I want you to know, like, we're in. We've made the largest financial commitment we have ever made to a church over these next three years. The largest commitment we've ever made to a campaign. It's, it's, the, it's the biggest financial risk uh, and commitment that we've ever made personally. Um, and internally, though, there's this wrestling, too, for me that about this part of my job, right? I got into this to change lives. And I personally have, I have a heart, similar to Pastor Bill's, I have a heart for people who, who maybe have been hurt by the church, and a lot of times that hurt has to do with church and money. Like sometimes that's hurt. And, and now for five weeks, it seems like that's all we talked about. Right? And it feels like it's all about this money. That's what it feels like. Or it's all about this building. But I just want to tell you that it's not about a money or building. I want to tell you what this is all about. It's all about love. It's all about love because that's what the message of Jesus is all about. So today on the last Sunday of the teaching series, it's not the last Sunday of the four campaign because today actually begins a three-year journey that we're taking together, three-year commitment. It's the last day of the teaching. We've got this week, if you don't have a prayer guide uh, make sure we can get you a prayer guide when you leave. We've got a week of thanksgiving and prayer. We've been praying for this. We want to thank God for what he's going to do today. So we've got a week of thanksgiving. Next week's going to be Celebration Sunday. I'm beginning a new series uh, on Jesus and the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to have food trucks and we're going to announce the number, whatever that is. But today's kind of the last part of the core teaching on the campaign. I thought about what am I going to say? Because the last thing is like the thing you often remember. Like, do you remember the last thing your parents said to you before you left for college, maybe? Or the last thing before you got married? Maybe the last thing your mama, the last thing your daddy said to you? And so Jesus had a moment where he had a last thing that he was going to say to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. The last moments before he was arrested and, and taken to be beaten. And the, the Apostle John, who we're going to read in John 15, his story, the Apostle John writes this, that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. I want you to think about that statement. What would you say? What would you say if all things were under your power? I want to tell you about what Jesus said on that night. Now, it was quite a night. It was quite a night in Jerusalem, quite a celebration 
All four Gospels walk through the events of that night, but John shares about a unique conversation that happens. The night was Passover, and everyone in Jerusalem was celebrating the Passover with a special meal and and special traditions. Uh, Passover is the Hebrew celebration, one of the biggest festivals of the event of God delivering the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery from under Pharaoh. When the angel of death passed over Egypt, but passed over the houses of the Israelites, sparing their children, and that was the straw that broke Pharaoh's back, and he finally let Moses and God's people go and said, I've had enough with this God of yours. You can go. And so it was a night to commemorate that. It coincides with what we celebrate as Easter now. Our current Easter still matches on the calendar with the Jewish Passover. And so this was a big celebration. The disciples had prepared the traditional Passover meal, and they probably thought this was going to be a bit of a coronation. After all, the week had started off fantastically. We call it Palm Sunday, about a week before the crucifixion when Jesus finally you know, left the countryside where he did most of his teaching and preaching and miracles and entered into Jerusalem for this pivotal week. And people were shouting and celebrating. It was like a big Jesus pep rally. People were laying down their coats before him on the road so that his, so that his donkey wouldn't even walk on the dirt. They were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the disciples thought, man, this, this is like the final, this is it. This is when Jesus is going to take over. But the week did not go as they planned. Instead of coming to take over, tensions in Jerusalem continued to, to get tighter and tighter. And the temperature continued to rise. And instead of Jesus taking steps to take over, instead he predicted his own death. He predicted his own betrayal and, and the, So they're just like, what in the world is going on? So Jesus took an opportunity to comfort them in this last conversation. And he tells them, listen, everything's going to be okay. All right, I know this hasn't gone the way you thought it was going to go, but it's going to be okay. He promises them that his spirit is going to be with them when he leaves. And then he does something that he has never done before. He gives them a command. Jesus really wasn't big into commands. He didn't give a lot of commands in his teaching. But he said, I'm going to change. I want to give you a command before I leave. Now, if you, just like the Apostle John had said, if if all things were under your power and you were going to give one command, what command would that be? He could have said anything. Worship me. Fall on your face before me. Stop fighting with each other so much, because they tended to do that. Stop bickering. Hey, guys, remember the big three? Like, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. You shouldn't do that. Make sure you get eight hours of sleep and drink plenty of water. He could have said anything. And here was the command that he gave them. In John 15, 12, and if you got your Bibles, you're looking at it. If you got your app there at home or a Bible in your lap, you can look at it. If you don't have a hard copy Bible in the room, grab one on the way out. It's just two verses we're going to look at in John 15 in this final conversation before Jesus gets ready to head off to be arrested. 
My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Here's my command to you guys. I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other. I want you to love others. Now, love is kind of mushy, isn't it? Right, that word. Just, that's a mushy definition of what we say love is. You say you love a lot of things, don't you? You love your spouse. You love your family. You love movies. You love music. I love carbs. You, we love a lot of things, right? Come on. Anybody else love carbs in here? Thank you. Hey, thank you. Amen. That's the, that's the first amen of the morning. There we go. So, I mean, it's a fair question. Jesus says, I want you to love each other. It's a fair question to ask. What does love look like? How do I know what love is in a world, in our language especially, when we say we love all sorts of things, and we know when we say we love our favorite dessert versus we love our coworkers and we love our family, and we all know those loves are all a little bit different. So what does love actually look like? So Jesus clarifies it around himself. Do you remember what he said? I want you to love each other, what? As I have loved you. And the 12 guys sitting there knew what that meant. Hey, Matthew. Yes, Jesus. Matthew, you're really different than the rest of us because, you know, the rest of us didn't sell out our soul for the Roman government to make money as a tax collector. Yeah, I know I made some big mistakes. You made some big mistakes. You, 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 and you have some very different political leanings. You've made some very different political decisions for your life, for your well-being, for your financial security that we didn't make. You turned your back on your people, Matthew. You know, Matthew, and there's a special category for tax collectors. You know that? Like, they're a special category of sinners. Sinners and tax collectors. Sinners and people like Matthew. Hey, but Matthew, you know how I didn't care about any of that. And I invited you to follow me. And I accepted you. And I gave you a place to belong. And I never once mentioned your politics and how they were different from everybody else's. And I never once mentioned how much you had sinned, maybe a little worse than everybody else. Hey, Matthew, when you run across people whose politics are different than you, who have sinned a lot differently and maybe worse than you, I want you to welcome them in the way I've welcomed you. Simon the Zealot, you're an angry little fellow. Like, you're so good. Remember when we first met you? You just wanted to fight everybody. You were ready to storm the gates of Caesar's 
temple, right? I mean, like you wanted to fight the Romans. You wanted to do anything you could, and you just got this combative personality. Yeah, I remember that, Jesus. I was kind of a, I was kind of a tough cookie. Yeah, so when you meet somebody who just wants to fight, when you meet somebody that is argumentative, when you meet somebody with a combative personality, and you just butt heads with them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do to them what I've done for you. I want you to call them friend. That's how I want you to love people, Simon the Zealot. Nathaniel. I was kind of hoping you weren't going to mention me, Jesus. You remember that time when uh, somebody told you about what I was doing and that there was this new teacher and new miracle worker and, and uh, you heard that I was from Nazareth and you said, well, you know, what good can come from Nazareth? Because <laughs> you've kind of got some ethnic and racial bias against people from Nazareth. You've got some prejudices from people from my hometown. Here's what I want you to do. When you meet people who have some racial and ethnic biases against you, when you meet people who say something hurtful to you, when you meet people who are against your people, I want you to do for them what I've done for you. I want you to call them brother. Because Nathaniel, even though you said nothing good could come from my hometown, I welcomed you in anyway. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, good gracious, you two sets of brothers that are always competing with one another. And it's like, who caught the most fish? Who can run the fastest? Jesus, can, remember when you got your mom involved, James and John, and you tried to get her to like make you sit at my right hand in my kingdom? And then Peter and Andrew were really mad at that. When you're always competing, when you four guys meet people that are just competing with one another and always wanting to be better than you, and maybe you don't like them because maybe they're a little bit too much like you I want you to invite them into your circle anyway because Peter Andrew James and John that's how I have loved you I want you to love people the way that I have loved you in fact Jesus said let me be more crystal clear than that here's what love looks like here's a working definition if you are if you're wondering, like, okay, I'm in a situation, what does love look like, how do I love them, like, Jesus loved me, listen, here is a clarifying qualifier to help you discern if you are loving well. Here's how you'll know. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you want to know, like, okay, am I, am I doing this right? You know, it's complicated in this relationship. Here's what you want to ask yourself. Am, in this relationship, am I laying down my life for my friends, or am I trying to get my way? Or am I doing what's best for me? Or am I getting what I want? Or am I going to lay my life down for them? Love looks like laying down one's life for one's friends. And this campaign is built on love. It's built on love for our friends. It's not about a building, but it involves buildings. It's not about money, but it involves money. It's about love. And I'm asking you to do what Jesus asked us to do 2,000 years ago, to lay down 
to lay down your life for your friends. I bet you've got some friends that you want to experience Jesus. I'll bet you've got some friends who need hope. I'll bet you've got some friends who have never had a church family to walk alongside them when they have gone through a surgery or when they are struggling with grief. I'll bet you have got some friends who have never had a church person show up on their front steps with a casserole. And they don't know how good love tastes in a casserole. Casserole. I bet you got some friends who have never had a small group to go to on a weeknight and wrestle with a tough situation that they're going through at work. I'll bet you've got some friends who have lost a loved one and they have had to some ask a stranger who is a pastor to preside over their loved one's funeral because they don't know any pastors. I bet you got some friends whose marriage is on the brink and they need the healing touch of Jesus in their marriage. I bet you got some friends who need Jesus and they need you and they need me to lay down our lives for them. This is about laying down our lives for our friends. This is about laying down for others so that others might find in Jesus what we found in him, belonging, acceptance, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and a church family. Aren't you so glad that you've got a friend you can call? You've got pastors you can call. You've got small group members that you can call and say, praying for me, I'm going through a tough time. Do you realize there are people in our city that have no one to call because they don't know a single person that prays? And I want everybody in our city to have a phone number that they can say, I'm having a hard day. Would you pray for me? So on this Commitment Sunday, I want to ask you to make some commitments. And here's why. We lay down our lives for others because Jesus laid down his life for us. Like we ought to be the best life layer downers. Like nobody, who's the best life later? Oh, the Jesus people, right? Because they have seen it. Because we know what it feels like to be on the other side of Jesus' life laying down kind of love. Like we know what it feels like and we ought to be the best at it of showing people. And listen, we could never repay Jesus for the debt we owe for forgiving our sin. We could never repay Jesus for the salvation of our souls. We could never repay Jesus for the redemption of our bodies. We could never do it. The least I can do is to do the one thing that he asked his disciples to do and that he asked you to do and that he asked me to do, and that is to lay down my lives for my friends. It's the least I can do. So I want to ask you to take Tangible steps, four commitments for others. Four commitments for others.
The first one is I want to ask you to make a financial commitment. Some of you are praying through that right now. Some of you came today and, and you, you haven't filled out that card because you're still thinking about it. You're unsure. I, I want, and, and some of you are considering praying through, discerning. Maybe, like I mentioned it with Emily and me, maybe the largest commitment you've ever made. And it's scary to think about that number. But I want to ask you to do something because we all have a part to play. God moves through his people, and it is going to take all of us laying down our resources for others. And I've said this before, we don't need to do this for us. Like we, we have plenty of room for our children, plenty of parking spots for us, plenty of room in the atrium for us. The student center is fine for our kids. Right? We don't need to do it for us. But if I want to ask you to lay down your lives for others so that we could be for one more, four more families, and for Birmingham. Financial commitment. The second thing I want to ask you is to make a serving commitment. And you got a, diff- a new card when you came in today. Everybody got one of these. About serving. Last Sunday, we finished up the month of February for 2023 and... I went back and looked at our worship attendance in February 2022. Do you know that our worship attendance in February 2023 was 38.5% more than February 2022? That's unbelievable. Listen, praise God. As, as we sang today, those old lines from the doxology, praise God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's, it's, it's all God. We're so humbled that the Lord keeps sending people here that we might shepherd people. We're going to need more servants and more volunteers than ever before. We're going to have more doors that need more greeters. We're going to have more coffee drinkers that need more coffee and little lemonade drinkers who need more lemonade. We're going to have more parking spots, to, and we're going to need more of a team to get them in there. We're going to have more kids' rooms and need more volunteers and mountaintop kids. And I just believe this, so, this is so important. If we build an incredible building, hire a talented staff, have awesome music, and luck up with a good sermon every now and then, but we do not have an army of volunteers to love people and lay down their lives in the way that they serve people that come. People will come once, but they won't come back. They will come once, but they will not come back. The sermon starts in the parking lot. And here, here's what, you've got my vow. You've got my vow and all the teachers on our team, you know, Jake and Josh and Ben, Melissa, whoever else steps on this stage. You have my vow and our vow that we are going to give it everything we've got when we step into this place right here. We take it so seriously. But I need you to preach some great sermons in the way you serve people. I need you to preach some coffee sermons and some parking sermons and some greeting sermons and some kid teaching sermons because that is what makes a difference in helping people connect with Jesus because that Sunday might be the one Sunday that they give Jesus and church a shot. And I want them to be greeted with excellence, parked with excellence, have the best stinking coffee in Birmingham. Like it's free and it's the best, the best kids ministry, the best everything because we serve the best Savior. And people do not connect with buildings as pretty as it's going to be. People connect with people. 
and we need people to serve like never before. So here's what I want to ask you. Right now, we have a need in kids' ministry right now at 915 for about six more volunteers, Mountaintop Kids. And I believe the Lord might be calling some of you to be a part of that. And that might mean that you worship at 11 o'clock and you go serve at 9.15 during the time you normally come. It's going to mean a longer Sunday morning. But how much is the faith of the next generation worth? It's worth everything. And some of you, God has gifted with some gifts to pour into little ones. And I want you to think about praying for that. And if there is a place for you to serve on there, you mark that uh, that number one, and we're going to come up the end of the service, and we're going to turn these in with our finance commitment cards. But there's a second one, number two, and that is we anticipate that we're going to double in attendance on Easter Sunday. And last Sunday, Melissa had 164 kids at 915. So what if we have 328 kids on Easter Sunday? So for some of you, I want to ask that you consider serving at 9.15 on Easter Sunday or 11 o'clock. We have the biggest need at 9.15, but we'll work it out either way. And Easter, listen, it's easy. It's like we're going to get dressed up and we're going to come to church and we're going to go to grandma's and eat a ham, right? And you can do all that, but I want to just invite you to invest that morning into your church and into serving families. So for some of you, you might say, I don't know that I can serve all the time, but I'll serve extra on Easter because I want to help out. That box is number two on there. The third one is I want to invite you to make an inconvenience commitment. For the next year plus, we're going to be incredibly inconvenienced. And I just, can we just own it? Would you repeat after me? For the next year, I commit to being inconvenienced. Like it's going to be inconvenient. There is going to be like yellow, big yellow equipment and you'll be like, that thing is in my parking spot, right? There's going to be dirt. There's going to be dust in the building. We'll clean it up as best we can. Our kids are going to be cramped on Sunday mornings as we try to figure out spaces. If one space is getting renovated, our mountaintop students are going to be up here on Sunday nights, and that's going to affect some of your small groups because they're going to take over the building. And listen, it is just going to be a big inconvenience. Let's just commit to be inconvenienced for Jesus because the cross was a little more than an inconvenience. It's the least we can do. Lord, I, I lay down my comfort, <laughs> my st the stability to just be inconvenienced. And the last one is this. I want to invite you to make a prayer commitment. And there's not a single person in this room that can't do this. There's not a single person in this room that shouldn't do this. I want to invite you to pray like you've never prayed before. We're, we're going to work as hard as we can. We're going to raise as much money as we can. We've, we're all committed to that. We're going to make wise decisions the best we can. But we want to do all that we can do so that God can do what only he can do. I want you to pray for revival. I have, listen, I've said this. I've said this. I've said that I believe that this, this facility and the parking we're adding will help us get to where we can host 2,000 people on Sunday mornings. Would you just pray for revival that God would make us have to figure out other decisions because we hit 2,000 so quickly because people are drawn to the work of the Holy Spirit? Would you just pray for that? Would you just pray for us like this building to let's just create more growth problems? 
and more decisions that we got to make. Would you just pray for God to do that? Not because we want to be big, but because God's spirit is big and we want him to do awesome things in the lives of people. And there's like a million people in Birmingham. And I just don't think a million of them are at church this morning. I think hundreds of thousands of people are sitting at home this morning. Let's pray that God would do what only he could do. This is a huge dream. It's a huge dream. We don't have to do it. You know, through your generosity for the next three years, we'll all give together about $10.5 million. Our budget's like 3.2 to 3.4-ish. And we could just do that and just cruise. We got a good church. We're comfortable. Got good kids ministry, good student ministry, good music. command I leave you is this be as comfortable as you can for you (laughs) the command I leave you is to love one another as I have loved you and love looks like laying down your life for your friends and instead of 10.5 for us to just cruise along we need 17 million to reach our community in new and innovative ways to reach one more person a thousand times over And I need your help. I'm not asking you to be a part of something that's just bigger than yourself. I'm asking you to be a part of something that's bigger than all of us combined. I'm asking you to join Jesus' command, his one ask of us to lay down your life for others. That's what this campaign, that's what this church, that's what our mission is all about. Our heart is never to just build an awesome building. Our, never is, our, our, our heart is not to just have great ministries. Our heart is when those doors finally open and new faces come in that we don't know, that we've never met, that are searching for hope, that are searching for a home, that when they finally come in, we'll look at them and be able to say we built this for you I didn't need it because we do this for you we don't exist for the people inside the walls we are a people that exist for those outside our walls somebody did that for us one pastor and his wife in his living room Dreaming about a church and a mission to reach a people that nobody was reaching. Ten people gathered in a living room praying that God might use them to start a movement in this city. Hundreds of people that gave 20 plus years ago to build the facility that you and I are sitting in, that our kids are getting ministered to right now. I want to be that for somebody else. And just like we don't know their names, (laughs) you don't know the names of the people that were in that living room, you don't know the names of all those that gave for this place, we won't know the names for those that come after us. But I'm not in it for them to know my name. And I don't think you are either. I'm in it for them to know the name that is above every other name. We lay down our lives. We lay down our lives for others because Jesus laid down his life for us. 
we lay down our lives for others so that they might know that Jesus laid down his life for them too. John 15, 12, 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is what it means to be a people for one, for families, and for this magic city that we call Birmingham. You pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for those that have come before us, for those who have given to sacrifice that we might find a church home. And Lord, we pray, we pray for all those that might come after us, that this morning are sitting at home and it hadn't even crossed their mind to go to church, but they've got some questions. They need hope. They're trying to figure out how to stay married. They're trying to figure out how to parent, trying to figure out if you want them to get married trying to figure out if you want them to choose a new career, trying to figure out their purpose. And Lord, we're not sure we have the answers, but you do. And we just want to be a people that lay down our lives for them so that we might point them to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.